Welcome everybody to Voices in Hyperspace. I'm Damian Smith, aka Legendary Black. So we have a wonderful gathering of fun sci-fi enthusiasts and some, I would say some beginners, some newbies to Babylon 5. We have begun our Babylon 5 watch through. We started with The Gathering, which is a made-for-TV movie, and it is uh, it acts like a pilot for Babylon 5. And there are a lot of really cool story points. So, um, Dominga, well, actually, you all were part of the watch party today, correct? Yeah. So yes. it's all fresh in your mind. It was mind. fresh. And, uh, yeah, so me and Nita, we had a friend date, and we watched it. And so she got a little head start on us, which was cool. And so just to kind of get us started, The Gathering. So, like I said, it's the, it's the pilot made for TV movie. It was kind of like the concept that helped sell the show to, to the network. And you get to see a whole lot of things. It begins with a mysterious monologue. It sets, it places the setting in the past and you don't really know who the narrator is. He has like a vaguely, he has a vaguely Eastern European ish accent, but you, you meet that character later in the show. And very quickly, you are confronted with several mysteries. And so this this show is trying to tell you, like, hey, this is serious business. This isn't just this is this isn't just fast paced space battles. And you don't really see anything. You don't see much happening on the exterior other than ships or, you know, coming and going. All the action happens inside. And most of what pushes the story forward is a lot of injury. So with you all, let's say with um, Sunday Anita, with you first experiencing this, you know, for the first time, what were some of your initial thoughts? Oh, my gosh. So much is happening. A lot. So many people died and there are guns and explosions. There were. Yeah, there was a lot going on. For me, it was it was I agree with the, a lot going on. I'm trying to, like, put words to it, but. I did enjoy watching the show very much because they have like clear backstory with the war and things that have happened. And now that is affecting what's going on on Babylon 5. Yeah, there was a lot of introductions like this is who I am and this is our history for what felt like every character. I'm glad that I watched it before everybody else so that I can have a second opportunity because watching it the second time I had mixed up some people's like backstory the wars and who was enslaved and things like yeah you made a good point there are a lot of introductions you're introduced and you're introduced to so many different characters and each of them has like they they each have a line that gives hints to their backstory and their history. And then there is the backstory and history to the universe that we're being introduced. And so the, the pilot is doing some, like some power lifting to tell this story. So Mel, what are, what are some uh, initial thoughts fresh in your mind since you just watched it? Um, I, I felt like it did a good job of introducing all the elements of the story within the story plot characters needing certain things to happen to explain how they feel about certain things and why instead of just being explained it didn't feel like a lot of stuff was being explained except for Londo but I kind of feel like that's a part of his personality because he's so pompous (laughs) which was a good way of a okay way of putting it in there because it goes along with his character so well that was very important, especially for a pilot, to introduce all those many elements and still keep it within the story. It felt a lot like a uh, soap opera. Yes, <laughs> which I guess that is. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah, I had when I told Sunday that I watched it with you, Damian. I said it was so soapy, very soapy. Yes, I like a good lather. Oh goodness. So I took a lot of initial thought notes down and there were a couple of things at the beginning of the show or the beginning of the movie, I guess, 
that stood out to me. There was a, I guess, station security officer that was flirting with an alien, right? Mm-hmm. And then Captain Sheridan comes up and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, Commander Sheridan. He shows up and he says, he, he basically asks, like, do you know what an Asian is? And he basically, he points out that, hey, they eat their mates when they're, so they're basically humanoid mantis. And, and I think they put that, but they put that in there to kind of show the alienness of Babylon 5. Like you're not just seeing a bunch of humans in space. Humans have made contact with alien species and they are all coexisting in different ways on Babylon 5. Then there I are, like- oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, because I remember that distinctly, but the person who was being advised to follow the rule, um, asking the officer whether they were a bigot. And it's like, are you yeah. just like being rude about the fact that I'm interested in an alien as opposed to I'm trying to ensure you follow the rules for your safety? Right. Because your safety means you're not going to get eaten. Well, not in the fun way. Anyway. That part. Um, a couple of other thoughts. Cool 90s graphics. So when Lita shows up, they show like her identicard and they show this really cool graphic of her getting scanned. Uh, they do that a couple of times. They were really showing off special effects in this in this movie. And without spoiling too much, a lot of that never shows up ever again in the show. But they go, going oh. all out for it in the beginning. Oh, yeah. There is also, um, I wanted to make this note about the production value. It does come across as being more kind of like a, it looks like one of those made for TV straight to DVD movies. So the production value is a little bit higher than regular TV. You know, there's a really, there's a lot going on in the background, a lot of movement, a lot of, a lot of attention to detail and when the show does get picked up, a lot of that is lost, but they make up for it with story. So there were there there were those are a couple of my notes, and of course, y'all talked about Lando. He's in, he's a very theatrical character, and so is Jakar. When they play off of each other, it's it's just magic to the scene. Another character that I thought was interesting that got introduced was Chief of Security Garibaldi. He does make an inference to something that happens later in the season. I'm not going to give it away, but watching it from the beginning, I'm like, Oh, okay. So they did establish that in the first season in the first episode. So, so yeah. All right. What about you all? What are some interesting notes that I wanted to know? Well, I, I guess need to understand how such like the, the dude was able to clone those other people's identities. Like did they die in the project or did he just decide to kill them? Because uh, the telepath was not killed, but she was cloned. Like her image was cloned. So that stood out to me. And I wanted to tie up that loose end for myself. That is interesting. So you do see, well, they insinuate in certain off camera. You hear like a gunshot. So he deliberately kills people. And they don't really explain how. The changeling net. They don't. They don't explain how the changeling net works, but it's just one of those sci-fi things. Like, look, this thing just works. And the, I think when the first one happened, like they went into a room together, and then as the door was closing, there was a flash, and I'm like, did he just kill him? Um, and when the, I don't know the guy's name, but he had the spots all over his head and neck Jakar. and at the end right he you know got told he's got a tracking device um, he went from being really angry and like uncooperative to being extremely cooperative was he him he was himself when he did that he wasn't being there wasn't like the changeling didn't take over him mm. and do that part did they no that was just him okay thank you so I think Go ahead. Changeling, right? Yeah, he died by then because he blew himself up. Oh, that happened in the beginning. Well, more more towards the yeah. beginning. Very early in the beginning, when his ship was supposed to be scanned, and he was mad about it. And oh, then after, yeah, yeah. I he I didn't. So I didn't I didn't consider that that was a changeling 
situation. I think Uh-oh. now that you're explaining it, Nita, it couldn't have been because the changeling, he was being so nice in order to get the changeling on board. Yeah. Is what happened. Okay. Mm, I got okay. it. Correct. Because remember, so when, and, and I think this is an, is a great introduction for Jakar. So you meet him, he's pontificating about not having his ship scanned and he's, uh, you know, he's making a big deal about it. Later on, you find out like he's involved with smuggling illegal devices around. And he, he was basically used to get the changeling net onto the station. So he was, so he's being suspicious, right? He, he's protesting, but then suddenly he's cooperating and he, he has ulterior motives, which don't become very clear until you know, near the end. And that's where you start to learn more about the story of the conflict between the Centauri and the Narn. Now that becomes, I would say that becomes a plot point to the entire series, like from, from episode one till the end. The lady alien that was in the Zen garden, what was she? She was Minbari. Minbari. And then the guy who was going around committing identity theft, he was Simbari too? Minbari, yes. So Minbari. Yeah. So this this is kind of the whole interesting uh, political intrigue aspect. The history is the humans, like, so when, when the show begins, the humans and Minbari had had a war, and it's been 10 years since the end of that war. And the war was quote-unquote won by humans because the Minbari suddenly decided to surrender. Now, the characters that are on the show, the characters that you see, you'll see that they were, they they often are evasive when talking about the war or cryptic when talking about the war. But later on, there is a lot more exploration of the history of what happened and the involvement of some of those characters. So I'm excited that, I'm excited for you all to experience that I'm, I'm glad that you picked up on what happened there but but yeah so you're talking about Delin. she was in the zen garden and they actually do spend quite a bit of time developing her character and when you were all introduced for for the the newbies when you were introduced to the minbari like the and whatnot what what sense what what was your impression of their culture or what type of alien archetype that they fulfill cryptic for sure um Mm -hmm. the interest in the zen how they're in their culture they have thousands and thousands of books that are explaining this simple concept that they really take it seriously that you know the one can affect the that like this angelic kind of uh, biblical idea of who her kind are and how they engage with other with others it's, yeah when i when we're first introduced and then when she's like i'm here to observe and i'm like oh she's some sort of omnipresent kind of thing which was this validating idea of my first impression of her and then can you not and then I don't know, how did she know that those people were in that toxic place fighting the evil Mimbari person? That's a good question. Yeah, like, so I'm just like, she's like an angel kind of thing. I don't know. When he went to go chase the changeling, they sent the little um, hovering device. I forgot what they called it. It's Uh, just a camera or something like that. Yeah, it's a camera. That, that kind of just traveled with him. Then when he told them that what was going on at one point, the, the what's her name? The girl that was on the, the bridge, um, she broadcast it so that everybody could see what was happening. And that's why she they told her him to go with the camera because of the sneakiness that was already going on. It's like, you can't go by yourself because they're going to murder you. Find a way to persecute you. So they took it just in case. And they did need it. They end up. She there was a scene where she said to broadcast it. Yeah, I must have missed the 
timing on that. It was a I, very quick, very short line. It was something like, quick, take a take a disc with you so we can broadcast no, everything. I remember that. And I remember the lady in the control room or whatever it's called. She made some like, grab that do this now and get that up now. So I know that that's what the plan was. It, I'm, the timing I'm talking about is when she said that, when it actually got broadcasted and when the Mimbari person ended up in that space. Oh, because okay. in my mind, she was there before it got broadcasted. Yes. All right. You're pointing out something very, very important to pay attention to. It's, it's, a, it's a detail that's easy to miss. She was already down there, and there's a reason why she was down there. They don't explore it very much in this episode, but Delin suspects she knows who the changeling is. Now, again, it's not very well communicated, and something like this occurs down the line later on in the series. But it kind of points, Delin knows more than she's telling anybody. And that's one of the that's one of one more of the mysteries that that are kind of shined a light on in Babylon Five. She kind of showed it when they were having their last conversation in the garden, and he asked him her something, and she kind of looked away when she answered it. She had this like almost cringy looking face when she's like, "Yeah, this was what I'll tell him." Yeah, and and that happens a lot. There is a reason Delin is on Babylon Five. There's a very specific reason you don't find out. For a couple of seasons. But yeah, she's a she's a secretive character. And for you newbies that are watching, know for a fact she knows more than she ever lets on. It 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 gets communicated better once the series gets started. But I think they did this on purpose just to let you know, like, hey, even though we seem to be framing these characters in a familiar way, just know that everyone has secrets. Everyone on Babylon 5 has secrets. They called the identity thief it. Their it is. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah, so there is there is something interesting about this episode or this show. Um, we we kind of hinted, hinted at it before during our discussions before we started recording. So Babylon 5 has some striking similarities to Deep Space Nine. There, you know, if once you get a chance to watch it with uh, Mel, you've watched Deep Space Nine, correct? Oh yeah, yeah. Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine is many Star Trek fans' favorite Star Trek. It it's much darker. It does chronicle a war in space. There's a, there's a lot of parallels. A religious uh, alien group that has caste system. An alien group that is that was oppressed by another group that you have to have diplomatic relations with. Um, the big thing that I believe, if I remember correctly, that bothered Michael J. Straczynski was the inclusion of the changeling net because, I'm sorry, in in Deep Space Nine, the inclusion of a shapeshifter. Constable Odo, a founder, but he doesn't know that, so they just recognize him as a, like, the only shape-shifting alien that they know of. When J. Michael Straczynski saw that happen in um, Deep Space Nine, he was very upset because he had pitched his show to Paramount first, and right around that same time, they were developing Deep Space Nine. And, you know, however it happened, some of those elements leaked into Deep Space Nine. They, They started to look very similar. Eventually, they kind of worked it out Day Space Nine became its own thing. Babylon 5 became its own thing. But Can I ask a question? Yodo, yeah. he's from a Star Trek. Yes. Not from this, yes. Correct. So, honestly, when I was watching the show, I was like, is this the beginning of what the other character is going to be? And now I'm just like, no. No, it's not. <laughs> but but you, you, you have to understand, too. Imagine seeing this... In the 90s, it, there could have been some confusion. There could have been a little bit of confusion. Now, you know, Star Trek has a completely different production approach, different music, different story beats. 
Babylon 5, again, has a very particular presentation style. So, it, like I said, they each became their own thing, which which is good because you got two great shows out of it, not just one show that copied off of another. You got two really good shows. But it could have been confusing to newcomers. So, we, you know, we might touch on that a little bit more when Rob is with us, but, you know, it's a it's it's a fun detail, but as far as addressing the person with the changeling net being called an it, the only thing that I can think of is because the per mimicked so many different people, different species, different genders. They didn't know what to say other than it mm -hmm. until it was ultimately revealed who it was. Did like the confusion that it brought when the changeling posing as the telepath went into the infirmary. It, it took me a few seconds to be like, yo, what does she do? Mm -hmm. Be like, oh, that's not really her. And so that was good. I enjoyed that. And there is also the plot point of the commander was being accused of the one to poison Ambassador Kosh because his face is the last face that he saw. So I thought that was a really cool plot point to kind of, you know, mislead everyone or, you know, offer that level of intrigue. Like, why would the commander poison him? I thought it was kind of weird that they didn't question it. Like, since they have the knowledge or at least in their databases that that, that technology exists, they didn't question why she saw him. It's not like she had any type of other than a visual evidence of that being him so even like today you could put on prosthetics and pretend to be somebody so if they were so worried about them trying to accuse him why didn't they look at any other avenues i thought a lot of the science was very soft it was very heavy on the character interaction the drama between the characters and the cultures but even when it came down to finding the uh, what made him sick the, the poison. Um, some of that science wasn't sciencing for me. <laughs> oh yeah, there was a whole lot of hand waving because. And I still like, <laughs> added one sentence in there to fix it, but yeah. a lot was into the the building of the the social world and the the politics world, and not a lot was put into the sci-fi like at all. The science part, the sci-fi. Right. Very little. Yeah, I like, wasn't. Go ahead. Sorry. Very thrilled with the no, you got it. I wasn't thrilled with the answer to what did you see when you looked at the alien that nobody looks upon. I was like, womp womp. Which that was that that's another big point that becomes not central but becomes a big deal later on in the series. But it is interesting because they they allowed a human, which I will give this away there. There are a couple of characters that are never seen again in this show, but they let a human look at a Vorlon. Um, that's something that's never supposed to happen. And uh, he, he does have a very particular experience with it. Like he's very fearful of what he's, but it does, it does mess around with some of the science of it. It, it doesn't help you, you know, it, it just asks another question that will never be answered in enough time. And so, you know, you you're, and you're given why a mystery. Why would the line people be okay with their ambassador dying? Is that explained? That is explained in the series. Like the Vorlons, okay. they're they are they are explained in the series pretty well. Um, they do become more center to the story, um, and we'll we'll spend some time talking about that once they become more to the forefront, but. With the doctor, and I have to look at my notes, Dr. Benjamin Kyle. Dr. Benjamin Kyle, when he he encounters the Vorlon, you're right. The science does like there's nothing that there's there's nothing that says like, oh, we can we can scan and treat Vorlons. Like it's just kind of hand waved away. Moving on, there is another piece of technology that is completely unexplained. Delin in her room has these rings. Did, did y'all notice that part? Was she, she mm -hmm. gravity on Jakar? Yes. 
she puts on these rings and she is somehow controlling the i guess the pressure of gravity in a in a particular spot that's never ever mentioned addressed seen again and and honestly for good reason because it's is more is it's more kind of like magic-y, you know more fantasy than science and and again you know they'll they'll touch on certain elements that lean that way in the show but that that one i could see there's a specific reason why they got rid of it because it becomes too much of a kind of like a super weapon. So it's like, nah, we don't need this anymore. But, yeah, and compared to everything else, she's like, oh, Pete. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, how do you spell it? Is it Vorlon or Warlon? How is that spelled? Yeah, it's with a V. Vorlon. V. So uh, when, the, when the telepath saw the commander poison the Vorlon, Whose hand was that? Was was that supposed to be her hand, or was that supposed to be the Vorlon's hand? She was. And why was it herself as the Vorlon? Say that one more time. She sees herself as the Vorlon. When she goes into his mind, she becomes him in the memory. So how was he out of like how? Why was that part of the body able to be outside of the environmental suit? You're right. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Ain't no sense. Yeah, you know, there's a couple of like I said, there's a couple of plot points that get waved away they were really trying to tell a very big story it in certain you can you can find the weak point i would say overall well honestly hold on wait before i I say before i share my rating how would you all rate the overall success of like these stories these story points coming together and them reaching a conclusion like how successful was the story being told excuse me I enjoyed it very much knowing that it was like a pilot, but not knowing if it was going to be picked up, that they told a a completed story that didn't leave like the whodunit a cliffhanger. It wasn't like, oh, no, we don't know what happened. And the pilot does not get picked up. So we'll never know. I was happy um, they didn't leave it that open ended. And I also really liked the the details in the characters that are going to be coming up, like what they're not just kind of like skimming over them. There was a, a lot of good information um, for the core characters in the few bits and pieces of episodes that I've seen in passing when you watch it. I recognize a lot of those characters and, you know, got to see them for the first time and like, yep, that's exactly like how I've always seen them you know for the few minutes that I've ever witnessed them before so it doesn't look like they're going to deviate from the setup that they are presenting at this time I enjoyed it excited to continue yeah I enjoyed it enough to watch it twice um, and to stick around for the rest of it the, the plot like this the actual story itself was very fast for me and it felt what do you call like a line of people like everybody was queued up. Okay, yeah, this person yeah. was introduced. My turn to introduce myself. Okay, now it's my turn. That's really what it felt like. And by the time we got to the casino and homeboy lost all his money, I was growing disinterested in any more conversation. I just wanted to get to like the more natural existence of all these people. It really, and I understand why, but it it read to me like this is a movie for new people who don't know these folks, as opposed to this is a clip of what happened in real life. I feel like a lot of that conversation that happened wouldn't have happened the way it did. And it only did because we're watching for the first time the end. Yeah, and there's something... There, there is a very '90s cultural, like pop cultural, quality to all of that. There's, there's a scent. There's like some snarkiness that I'm like, yep, that's '90s. Some sarcasm that comes across, yep, that's definitely '90s. I mean, not just the special effects. One of my notes that I took down was like, there's a lot of flashing lights. There are a ton. There are so many flashing lights in this thing. This it becomes distracting. I'm like, who works? Who works with that, with these strobe lights going off like that? 
And then like the overall story point, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't come across as a movie that is for a broad sci-fi audience. It's definitely executives and producers to, to see if they can make something out of it. Yeah. For me, it felt like a soap opera that's being a, a let's see, a diplomatic type soap opera that's put in a so, sci-fi um, setting. Like, they kind of just pushed it into that setting. Some, which is why a lot of the science is missing. I guess, like, in comparison to something like Stargate, where they actually have military and um, astrophysicists and, um, what do you call it, the physical science scientists, actually working with the writers and the visuals to get everything make sense. They didn't have any of that. All they had was drama. <laughs> yeah. Which the drama part was put together. It's like this person's going to feed off of this from this person and the the all of the everything had to do with the characters and how they developed with each other and having issues with each other that i would give a 10 the science i'd probably give a two something <laughs> as, simple as passing on a virus to species that you have he literally said that they have no files on this no files whatsoever not physical not cultural they don't even know how to date to meet each other to reproduce <laughs> but somehow i'm gonna diagnose him and tell you exactly how much time he has to live <laughs> and if his vitals are going down at which percentage i'm like y'all just throwing numbers in there. what vital even the light because that, that triggered a memory of watching it as a kid and i'm like oh something that i don't want to spoil for you guys but i'm like how was he able Boy, to oh. that part like even just knowing that they have no files on them, it did. But by the way, I'm gonna pull out this. What is it? File out of my breast. We have all the files, and you didn't have enough time to examine him to learn about his physiology. Most of the other the aliens are so humanoid. Even like what is his name? The pompous one. His uh, Lando. Londo, his species, like, as far as we know, wears a lot of hair gel. Right. <laughs> like, there was, there, the back, there were background characters with more detail in how their their species was different from humans uh, than, than the main characters. And I guess that might be because it takes an enormous amount of time to put on those prosthetics. Londo. Yeah was definitely giving Dr. Eggman from Sonic. Speaking of the having files on people, the guy with the spots approaching and like assuming that it was an automatic yes to intercourse with the the telepath. It was oh, like yeah. what's really good. And six like generations back is good enough for you to serve the purpose that I have for you. That was creepy, and I'm glad that he got inserted with a a not real tracking device so that they can do all kind of unconsensual experimentation on him. So that that is a really good thing to bring up the telepaths. So Lita is introduced, and you know they they tell you the story of the telepaths and her identicard, and she's registered with Psychor. You know, sounds very official, right? There, there seems to be all this protocol with telepaths. And it seems also that the telepaths, well, at least in Lita's case, she's commissioned by the private corporations to facilitate business deals, which I don't know. How, how would you all feel about having a telepath at the, at the bargaining table with you? Oh, I need this so bad. That would be great, especially since we would know if we're being telepathic. Telepathic, that's a Well, <laughs> when it comes to business people and a lot of, stereotypically, a lot of business people are, are narcissists and sociopaths. They they know that they know, and they know that they're doing wrong. They know that they're trying to screw you, and that's their point. But so, I guess having a defense for that would be kind of. Which makes which makes you th the the use of telepaths had to have been insisted by private corporations in the first place. That's part of that you know that's part of like the corporate espionage that tends to pop up in a lot of these types of shows, especially like soap opera or 
spycraft shows. Mm-hmm. But in the scene that you were describing Sunday, Jakar, he's trying to get he's trying to get his hands on telepaths. So he does give a little bit of history of his people that, hey, we don't have telepaths. We don't have telepaths anymore. And we're trying to make some. And just his very forward approach. Yeah, it, it comes across as gross. And again, another another teaser. He does. Um, he comes across as pretty gross and villainous throughout the first season. But there is a reason why. And that just shows like the complexity of these characters. Like he's not a one dimensional supervillain type character, but he does become a foil for one other character in the show. But just kind of, you know, highlight that part. It was, it, it, it is kind of cool, but they did have to like really make him come across as disgusting to show how desperate he was. Well, they're hitting the nail on the head with that because I'm just like, definitely stick a probe up his butt. Well, through his gills that are painful to you. Oh, yeah, the gills. That doesn't ever come up again, does it, Mel? I don't think so because I forgot he had them. Which, that you point out another thing. So the gills were used so he could walk freely through the alien sector where they use methane-rich atmosphere for certain alien species. That is a part... That is a part of the show that uh, stays throughout the whole series. Um, Ambassador Kosh's quarters are in the alien sector. Humans, most humanoids, well, many humanoids have to wear like a a, a breather to even go down there in the oh, first. I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, were you not done? Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead, Mel. You got it. They kind of went over the, the science with that, too, which is probably why I never came back. Because processing a different <laughs> gas wouldn't require gills. Yeah, it would, it would require gills. It would require like an entire physiological system, not right. just not just one set of gills, but like because obviously he would be suffocating if he's still using his regular lungs. If his lungs are regular, like you could have just said that I could breathe, but right. that makes sense either. I was curious, like, the same thing Nita asked about how the lady came to save the injured guy, you know, so suddenly. How the changeling, I'm assuming, snatched the not-fixed mask on the, I don't know what his position is, the captain, the general, the lieutenant, whatever his posi- his ranking is, but that he thought that he was going to go in there and just hold the mask with his hand. And you have a two-handed gun that you need to also hold just to get <laughs> to where you're going and need a third hand to help the person that you made it to. So He's not the- All right, so I'm going to ask this question. To me. So what did you think about the firearms used in this episode? I didn't really think about them. They were using why. some like ridiculously huge guns yeah they were so big (laughs) space station too yeah you would be worried about because like when they were first they could have explained that before like when they when what's his name jakar was worried about his shipment coming through like yeah we need to do a scan to make sure certain things don't come to station station they could have brought up like this is the fifth one we don't need it blowing up again just in case. <laughs> uh, yeah but y'all are carrying around rifles like y'all still at war i mean and technically they could break out on war at any time considering the history of a lot of these people right which is why you would probably want to have a limited amount of weapons it's not practical at all. I, I really think they skipped a lot of the science when it came to making this a science fiction. It was basically thought of more as speculative and they yes. had to throw in something else. I don't know why it's sci-fi. They could have did just one without the sci-fi. <laughs> but then they had to make up the different cultures. And that's how I feel about, that's another parallel with Star Trek. A lot of the different cultures represent like a, exaggerated form of things that humans have going on but you can imagine it being a a lot more intense somewhere else even though what's his name uh lando could have just been transported from um caesar's time 
Like, <laughs> right. Yeah, those costumes do not look futuristic. They look like they got those off of some sort of like some retelling of like the Napoleonic Wars, you know? Uh-huh. Which like it was not. Yeah. Which, yeah, they kind of lean into it too, which is, I honestly, I appreciate that. I think it was more for a cinematic effect. Like, even if you didn't know his history, you could kind of guess by looking at him. Mm-hmm. As, uh, I guess we, I guess into, to compare it to Star Wars, it's like we're going to make the Empire and the Stormtroopers and all very Nazi so that you see them as villains. Like, we want to see him as this person whose whole persona and whole culture is based on conquering everything. So we're going to dress them up exactly like that so that the people know. And it, it is You're talking about Dr. Eggman? Yeah. Yeah. Eggman. L- Lando. Lando Malai. Lando. <laughs> yeah. You'll, you'll, I, I think he's going to, he, well, for me, he becomes a fan, like a favorite character. One of the favorite characters. When, in, in this episode, he does mention, like, the way he talks about humans, he sees humans basically as like the new superpower in the galaxy. I, I don't want to spoil anything, but I, Am I, do I recall correctly that in this episode, Garibaldi and Lando are having a conversation and Garibaldi is like, hey, you know, when we first met your species, you told us that you were the rulers of the entire galaxy, you know, <laughs> and that we were distant relatives. And that's not true. But they're the 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 Centauri, the Centauri are like imperialistic and militaristic. And that does come across in his costuming the the giant hair and what's interesting is he's by himself in this in this episode but later on you start to see more members of his species and then you know that starts to get fleshed out yeah which also adds to the you just put hair gel on it. <laughs> right and his hair is the biggest in this episode it doesn't i think they kind of they tone it down but that's i don't think that's the right word they like they bring it down just a little bit but I found his honesty very uh, surprising. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I think Commander's a cool dude. I didn't know. Well, if you knew, would you have done it anyway? Yeah. (laughs) I'm a shitty person. Yeah. You know, what? I was just taken so far aback. And I think that was kind of shown in, like, when you first see him, he's gambling, and he's like, I'm busy, and I have lots to do. It's like, you're just playing games. Like, everything about him is my glory, what I can win, what my species have won. He doesn't really have a backbone of his own. Everything is based on material possessions or what he can claim. His whole given Ferengi for me has nothing of his own. I said it was given Ferengi for me. Like when I listen to him talk, I just am wondering why he doesn't have really big ears and a wrinkled forehead. (laughs) He got big hair instead, right? (laughs) So, just to kind of highlight a couple of the I would say the distinguishing characteristics of Babylon 5. Of course, you have all the alien species, yada yada yada. The Babylon station is a five-mile-long station with rotating parts that help simulate artificial gravity. It has a hydroponics, I guess, field. It's it's difficult to tell sometimes because, you know, it's it's a painted backdrop. So you can see, like, okay, this is supposed to be big fields where people, where they grow food and that that goes into, I guess, some of their rations and all of that. You know, you heard about, like, what was... Uh, against regulation with Dr. I was about to call him Franklin. He's not Franklin. Dr. Kyle called Takashita with Takashima with a coffee, right? Mm-hmm. Then, then on the exterior, you have the jump gates and you basically, it's a way for them to jump into, jump in and out of hyperspace. That's their method of FTL, uh, faster than light travel. A couple of things that will change. The, the communicator was a watch. Later on, it becomes a device that sticks to uh, the back of their hands. It's very easy. Uh, the weapons, instead of being these giant rifle laser rifles, they get these handguns that are called PPGs. And Mel, the science is explained on PPGs. Basically, since they are in a pressurized space station, 
the PPG sends a heated projectile that will not penetrate the hole. Okay. So that's the way that they can maintain security and not like. Oh, he was flailing around trying to get his vest off. Yeah. Oh yeah, because it closed. The, yeah, okay. yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. They have those. They they do change their armor. It's not like that. Honestly, I think I like the armor better in this episode than what it looks like later. But I think they changed it to save on production call. Um, then there are characters who never ever show up ever again. Um, Lieutenant Commander Takashima, she was uh, head of operations. Um, I'm sorry, the actress just was not pulling it together in Yo. the episode. Her, she her, was a terrible actress. Yeah, her her dialogue was very stilted. Um, mm-hmm. She just wasn't a good fit for the show. So, And she's gone. Um, she was more campy, and everyone else was a little more sci-fi. Yeah. Or or relax, especially when you get Garibaldi and the commander together. They're very human, mm-hmm. where it's, she's slightly more robotic. Like robotic, yeah. She doesn't come off like she's not from the U.S. or Canada. Like Maybe if it had <laughs> been a cultural thing, but no, she's she's had a history where not being just in Japan, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> even that's not really an excuse. Like, I don't know. I, you know, I just put it on experience and skills at that time. She she just wasn't a good show, good a good fit for the show. You have the heavy hitters, Car and Lando. That's Peter Jurassic and Andreas. Uh, I can't pronounce his last name, but they came in swinging hard. They chewed each and every scene, every second of every scene that they were in, uh, and they are mainstays from beginning to end. Um, another character who just completely different disappears is Doctor Benjamin Kyle. Um, oh, yeah he he never he never shows his face ever again. Which I liked his eyes. It's confusing because I, I thought I would see more, you know I thought he was going to develop into a, an interesting character, but mm. nope he never shows up again. He does get replaced by a different character, a different character, a different you know to take the. Chief of Medical Edition, and the actor is a really good actor. So, I think what they were trying to do is beef up the acting chops so people could um, drawn into the show. Mm. This doctor seemed a little more Shakespearean yeah. than the other one, and it didn't flow with everyone. I think with like Jakar and Londo, they they were a little over the top. But because they're aliens coming in, it doesn't seem so out of place. But when you have other humans acting so completely different from the other humans, mm-hmm. it, it throws things off. Yeah. And later in the series, you all will see how they all work together as an ensemble. The characters, the actors that they have, they all work very well together. They get a rhythm and you don't think too much about they're acting anymore. You just are enthralled with the story that's being told. So, you know, again, pilot episode, made for TV movie, a lot of concept, a lot of setup, which does give a good example of what the rest of the show is going to be like. Now, there's not going to be so much hand waving on the science. Well, not as much. It's still, you know, they're, they're, they still they still kind of fudge on some things. But they do try to keep they do try to keep certain aspects of science uh, visible. For instance, the rotating sections for the station for human ships it's it's the same. They don't have artificial gravity like some of the other species do, and it just shows like, hey, humans have solved this problem in this way and have not advanced too much more uh, than that. Whereas other species have, and they are not sharing their technology. I also noticed when they were on the transport, the transport was kind of like in the middle of where it was rotating. At least that's how they tried to portray it. I'm like, how do y'all have gravity if you're in the center of the thing that's creating the gravity? Because usually with something that's using momentum for gravity, you have to stay within that momentum to be within the gravity. And there, that transport is completely taking them out of the moment, unless it's actually spinning as it's going down the tube 
and you can't see it because it's all moving together. That's a good point. Now, there is an episode, I think it's at the end of season one, where it is, maybe it's at the end of season two. They do address that in a very cool way. But no, you're pointing out something that, that's a very good question. Yeah, it would have been easier just to put it all on one thing unless they did needed more than one gravity level. Like if each section had a different gravitational pull. But then you also have to consider how they're getting on. I guess the, when the ship locks, it would be spinning around with it. How they get onto the ship in the first place. Yeah. Spinning like, yeah, they're not, they're probably not going to go on great detail explaining it. I don't remember much of it too much. It's been like yeah. 20 years since I've seen it. No, you made a good point. Also talking about the transport, the background animation actually made the station feel much bigger than the interior scenes made it feel. So, that, so you know, the interior with like the quarters, the control center and, and the casino, they all make it seem like everything is compact and a little cla- claustrophobic. But when you're in the transport, if you feel like you're in a much larger space. It's like, do they have ceilings over them when they're going through the little areas? It's It feels like they have ceilings over them, but technically they shouldn't have ceilings. Well, I guess it depends on the way that they, the way the station is supposed to be oriented. Because, you know, they have, they have levels, multiple levels. Mm-hmm. So they should, they should have ceilings on certain levels and maybe on other levels, maybe not. Yeah, especially um, when you have different atmospheres going on at different levels. Yeah. But when so, they show Yeah, sorry. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. When they showed it from the transport, maybe you're only seeing a mile of it and that was all the same. Because yeah. it seemed so you never really got to see like the 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 residential area or the business area. It really only looked like the the garden, well not like the yeah. garden. But yeah, it looked like the hydroponics bay every time they're going through. Yeah. And and that is something that does change during the series. Some mm, of the okay. some of the scenes where they're looking into the station, it does look like they have maybe not skyscrapers, but they do have like buildings. And mm. and I'm wondering like I wonder if they did plan on exploring that a little bit more or just due to budget constraints they're like screw it we're in some very tight corridors um but yeah it's interesting so the what i would compare it to is the citadel on mass effect um are there mass effect fans in this in here i know i haven't played it but i've watched a lot of science about it oh okay yeah so (laughs) yeah so so you have seen what the citadel looks like right yeah like Every time I play Mass Effect, I'm thinking like, "This is Babylon Five, which I think was a big influence on the game. Yeah, so because they use the same spinny gravitational pull yeah. idea. It's yeah. the most practical way to create. I mean, that's how we do now with our astronauts in real life. Uh, when they want gravitation, they, they yeah. spin it. <laughs> and they're they're talking about longer space expeditions. That they would have to, have, they would, they think like having rotating sections of the ship would at least simulate enough gravity so that the muscles and bones don't atrophy as much as right. zero gravity. So, but that would be cool. All right. Are there any final thoughts or impressions of The Gathering? No, I think it was very appropriately titled. No, I ain't got nothing else to say. I think I've said everything. Cool. Now, does this make you think, hey, I want to see more of this show? The episode by itself? No. Like I I had mentioned earlier, by the time it got to the casino scene, I grew disinterested. If if someone was just like, hey, watch Babylon 5, and I I probably would have stopped watching and just not finished it. But because y'all were like, it's going to be great um, for the sake of seeing it through. That's to see it through, my boy. <laughs> I am interested. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. You didn't come uh, come through at all on that. Sorry. Am I back? Yes. Yeah. Okay. The conversation is why I am here, definitely. And 
being set up with, there's a lot of political, you know, intersectionalities with our current life and what is going to be presented in this show. And to have an opportunity to, you know, have passionate conversation with intelligent people, I am all for that. So, yeah, I agree with Nita, especially with there being an ending to this episode. It's like, okay, that's what that was. Who never have, don't have, I wouldn't have been upset if the pilot did not get picked up, like I said before. But since it did, and it's got a boatload of episodes, I'm just really excited to go through them with you guys and talk about it. Yeah, it did kind of conclude very well. It didn't do that comic book thing where it's like, cliffhanger, find out what happens next. Right. And when I first saw it, when I was about eight or nine, I thought it was really cool because of the special effects and the, the, the alien prosthetics and just and then it was exciting too i didn't understand fully the the complications of the characters i understood it somewhat so watching it again in my 20s or like early 20s i kind of got a little more of the the soap opera aspect of it on top of the sciencey stuff uh, it, there's a lot of nostalgia for me watching it at 40 and also i know a lot more about science fiction and science fiction science so now it's <laughs> going to be interesting just picking through the the things that they started and created within the science fiction. Because a lot of science fiction at the time before and before that didn't do a lot of this stuff. It was more science. So just seeing, it, this is this is science fiction history. And I, I like science fiction. I want to write it more. So it's kind of a study for me. Nice. That's 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 a cool way to look at it. For me, I kind of felt the same way with that Nita felt. There's a point, for one, I forgot how long. It, I think the runtime is, what, about an hour 40, maybe a little less. And I was expecting, like, oh, this is about to be an hour long. No big deal. And then, you know, 40 minutes into it, I'm like, there's nothing happening right now. How long is this? And then I saw how long. I'm like, oh. And then my ADHD started kicking in. I'm like, am I going to last that long? But... The thing that kept me engaged was the performances, the the characters. They were doing very well uh, with their parts. So, so I think, I think for me, y'all, you also have to remember this. What this came out in nineteen ninety two, ninety three. At the time, as a teen, I was craving stuff like this, so I endured it. No matter what, because I'm like, it's on TV. I want to watch it and I want more of it. Thinking like I was into stuff like the outer limits, of course, Star Trek, of course, Twilight Zone. Uh, before Ancient Aliens were, was a thing, I would watch all the different shows about aliens. Uh, what's what's that show? Oh, gee. Agent Scully and Moldar. What's the name of that show? X-Files. X-Files. Uh, so. Huh? Yeah. So it, it was shows like that. that I'm like, yeah, I want to see that. I want to see that. I remember one of one of my most, I guess, one of my favorite childhood memories. It's one of the first times I got to go to the movies by myself and I went to go see Stargate and I absolutely loved it. And so so this kind of like touched that nerd button for me. So I was I was loving it. So um, when we get back, we are going to be taking a look at episode one. Uh, i guess you could call this episode zero it's a pilot made for tv movie you know it's, it's general generally the concept episode one picks up a little bit faster um, now that we we've been introduced to the characters you're going to see a few changes so stay tuned for that we're going to have our reactions to that next time but with all that said we'd like to thank you all very much for joining us on voices in hyperspace I am Damian, aka Legendary Black Lion. I'm Mel from Mel's Rebellion. I'm Nita. I like to paint. And with her mic off. And that's Sunday. She's Sunday. muted. Yeah. Thank you all very much. And we will catch up with y'all next time. Sorry, this is Sunday. Bye. <laughs>